Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. You're listening to episode 12. In this episode, I had the opportunity to interview the very interesting Bill Conway. Bill Conway is the co-founder of the hardtimes.net, an online satirical paper, uh, which is often referred to as the Punk Onion. Uh, this website gets over 1 million unique visitors every month, and it's really cool. In this conversation, we talk about the nature of things you know, spreading online and going viral. Also, we talk about uh, making good, funny online content and how you can leverage online content in your own comedy career. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Thank you. So, hey, Bill, thanks for doing this today. Thanks for having me. Hey, so, Bill, how did you, you know, first get into doing comedy i mean you write you i guess you started as a writer and now you're also performing right well actually it was uh it was flipped uh so originally um i started stand-up about six years ago in san francisco and i've been in portland for uh the past you know five or so years maybe you can you know as a stand-up comedian everybody lies about how long they've been doing it so you could probably add like 10 to 12 years on how much i tell people i do comedy but anyway (laughs) uh so yeah i i started as a stand-up i did a podcast where i talked with uh people that were straight edge uh and uh so uh this very specific subset of uh hardcore and punk dudes and i met this guy matt um through that he was a bay area dude that was in a played in a punk band and him and i became friends and then one day on facebook he just kind of said like hey i'm looking to start a satire site that's kind of like the onion uh but for punks and i said you know i'm on board and him and i kind of just decided to get like go all in we kind of crafted the what the hard, hard times would be it didn't even have a name at that point you know we came up with the hard times and then uh from there, yeah, it just kind of started, and you know, I was surprised at how quick it took off. And a lot of the other stand-up com- comedians here in Portland would be like, "Well, how many punk jokes are you going to be able to make?" Like, I don't know. We'll see how many we can make. And it's been three years, and we haven't run out yet. So, uh, so yeah, it started just meeting. Matt is not a stand-up comedian. The other co-founder of the Hard Times, he's a journalist. So, like our two worlds coming together, where I had the comedy aspect of it, of here's how a joke is crafted if you want to build the towards funny. And he knew how a AP style like article is crafted. So we didn't just look like, you know, complete amateurs. Yeah, totally. I, so that's so interesting. How do you describe a like a punk satire? Like, what does that mean? Is it for people that listen to punk music? Like, how do you de- define that? Yeah, so it's that's uh, basically. I mean, I grew up like uh, I'm from Massachusetts, and I grew up. Whenever somebody like went to New York, they had like hard copies of the Onion, you know, newspapers in New York, and I'd tell them like, "Hey, go find that somewhere, bring me back a copy." I have every Onion book that they ever released, you know, prior to 2010, you know, and I'd read them, and so that just the Onion voice is in my head so basically you know we've we've crafted i would say our own sort of voice on our own but our headlines and if the onion was you know says something like area man does this you know ours would just be sub in henry rollins does this you know more or less as a short form like we're a very specific subset where if you grew up in punk and hardcore and stuff and going to basement shows then you'll know what the 
references to this certain thing that happens at a basement show uh you know so it's that's where the punk element is it's just the the worldview it's not so much like you read the article and you don't think it's you know uh, it's it's written in a way where we're trying to present ourselves as intellectual everything is like the straight man and then the characters in the articles are just you know for the most part punks and hardcore kids and just general scumbags that are in the music scene that's so great uh how much do you think you can attribute your success to targeting like a specific niche because i i just knowing a lot about you know startups and entrepreneurial endeavors i know that like it's very common to target a niche and capture that kind of market share instead yeah, of trying I, to capture the general comedy population. I think 100, let's, let's say 99% of the success was, was that where like, you know, I'm going to keep going back to the onion and referencing them a lot because obviously they're the number one name in online satire. But uh, like what they do is, you know, obviously general, world stuff and i see a lot of sites that when they you know you see a lot of onion ripoff sites and but they all they're trying to do is just uh bad onion headlines you know it's just here's here's some headlines that look like they should be on the onion they're just not funny where i would say the hard times is our headlines are crafted for a that you wouldn't be able to see them on the onion because the onion isn't gonna make jokes about you know uh a minor threat or something like that. They're not going to make deep references to bad brains uh, and articles like that. And so, yeah, our targeting to specific people, I, I, our main, uh, you know, readership is jaded hardcore kids that are like, you know, 35 years old now and don't go to shows anymore because their back hurts all the time. And so, <laughs> you know, we can target our jokes towards that. And uh, that's where a lot of our success came from. And, I, a, a lot of times I think, uh, you know, when, when people see something that's, you know, cause a lot of people that listen to punk and hardcore, it's not a mainstream thing per se. So you might experience something that is kind of unique and you can't talk about it with people in the office, you know, cause they, they don't, they weren't at the basement show, you know, the other night, but then you read something that is similar to a, uh, an experience you thought you were the only one that had it. And it's just like, Oh shit, these guys are talking about, you know, that thing. And that's, you know, so people can relate to it on that deeper level where it's like, Oh, you know, there, they were there. And as far as, you know, it's going to sound, you know, almost arrogant, but like, we're not posers, you know, but saying that probably makes you a poser, right. You know, if you, if you claim you're not a poser, but I mean, we all grew up going to punk and hardcore shows, you know, since we were 13 years old and, you know, so we've, we've seen it all. We've seen the 300 pound dudes beat the, beat the shit out of somebody and, you know, uh, right in front of you and knock their teeth out. And then, you know, your friends getting fights out in the parking lot. It's all, it's all part of the, the grand uh, experience that is uh, underground music culture. That's brilliant. I mean, I love how you brought two very specific worlds together and mm-hmm. uh, you have a very clear idea of who your customer is. Yeah. And that, that, that was kind of, in, in, even as the website is developed more like, you know, we've gone to try to expand into like other genres of music, you know, it's not just like punk, there'll be, you know, indie rock and stuff like that. And we have more of a music base sort of thing that that's expanded, but it's still kind of has that still core element, you know, where we're making fun of crust punks and stuff like that. And 
I think I think people appreciate that. And, you know, and like I like I said before, we haven't run out of jokes yet. So there's still plenty of plenty of things to satirize out there. It just it's it's uh, it, it's been pretty, pretty interesting to see how the site has grown from that because we were not expecting anybody outside of our friends to really look at it. You know, it just kind of within the first month people like the the singer of black flag was sharing articles which was like blowing our minds because you know we wow grown up listening to black flag you know it's like oh hey it's that uh it's that singer that nobody really likes from black flag sharing our uh, articles <laughs> well, Henry Rollins but uh you know uh, I'm sure with all the with all the shade we've thrown at Henry Rollins he's probably not a huge fan of us okay disclaimer I don't know a lot about punk and like metal or so i i probably some of these references will go over my head like for, i don't know who that is henry rollins yeah, yeah and that's uh did you say you didn't know henry rollins because you've probably seen him in uh, some crappy movies from here here and there you'd recognize him he's he's become more than just a punk singer he's a he's a full-on pseudo celebrity really okay yeah that, if you if you've seen any crappy movie from the 90s he probably played a cop in it you know, so uh, and he also, I think he was on Sons of Anarchy as a Nazi for a while too. So he's he's been around. Okay, cool. So that's not a big uh, contextual issue then for most people, hopefully. So okay, I have um I have so many questions. I think this is so cool. So I'm a um first I'm a big like Tim Ferriss uh, fan, and he's mm-hmm. like uh he has a podcast and books that like target like people that it's kind of douchey in a way. I, I don't know. Do you know who Tim Ferriss is? I, I listened to his podcast for, uh, for a, about a year and, but then the, uh, the average runtime of each podcast got a little bit too much for me. So I know I just I, kept uh, going up. Yeah. When, when, when he, when he was hitting over three hours, it's like, Tim, come on, man. Cotton's quit talking. At least break these up into two episodes or something. I know. Yeah. I, I listened to it on two X speed so I can actually listen to it. Yeah, you're a maniac. How do you? Otherwise, yeah, I, I can't. Um, yeah, for context, Tim Ferriss is like an an early like startup investor kind of. He's he's like very big into like um, being financially independent and like starting starting your own thing. Like he wrote the Four Hour Work Week, which is basically about you know how can you uh, you know do minimal work that you don't like to pay your bills and pay your expenses so you can actually fund the life that you want to live. He's, it, it sounds kind of like a, like guru kind of thing, but he's not really like that if you actually listen to him. But anyway, um, it was interesting. His super successful book, uh, the four hour work week, when he was talking about that, he said that he aimed it at just that he wrote it as if he was writing to like one of his friends and that's what made it successful. So that resonated with me, like what you said, you thought like only your friends would listen to it. And it seems like your friends are the demographic of the people that listen to it, like the similar type of demographic. So I think that's really clever that you didn't yeah. like pe- feel like you pandered to anything that you didn't want. Right. And I think that's like a big thing with, with any project creatively that people get into. It's like, you know, if, uh, you know, we, we did the hard time, we started the hard times cause it seemed like a fun project to do. And it is still fun. I mean, it's obviously it's become more work as it's become more successful. Um, and other responsibilities have come along with it. And, you know, my workload has increased, but it's still, it's still fun to me to make the jokes, to approve the jokes, you know, cause I don't write every, it used to be, 
um, me and the other co-founder, Matt, basically writing everything. And then people would email us being like, hey, how do we, you know, like within two weeks, like, how do we become a writer for you guys? It's like, why would you want to do that? You know, it's just us in our bedrooms. Uh, and then it's like, oh, shit, well, maybe this is a thing. And so now we have like, you know, 250 contributors, you know, across the world that will send us headlines that, you know, we go over in editorial meetings and figure out what we want to run, what we don't want to run, you know, and from there. And then I comes down to, you know, editing things. And that's where I, most of my work for the hard times is these days is on the editorial side. And I still try to write as much as possible, but you know, life gets in the way of things. And, uh, but anyway, uh, as far as writing, you know, things that your friends will like, you know, that's, I mean, same with stand up comedy. I think Bill Burr talks about it a lot where, uh, you know, when somebody would be like, hey, you were just riffing with the crowd, you know, it's like, well, you talk to them like you're talking with your buddies, you know, because you're always funny around your friends. So why don't you just pretend like, you know, you're with your friends and then you'll be loose, you'll be funny and, you know, you won't really worry as much as opposed to thinking everybody here hates me. Uh, and, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm going to get punched in the face in the parking lot after this, you know, that's good. I mean, I, I love that idea of like when you're doing stand up, talk like you're talking to your friends and make have your audience be like, you know, they're your friends. Cause if you're funny around your friends, that's how you can translate it. That's actually, that's so cool. Cause that's something I always like thought about. And my goal is to always like, if I can be as funny as I am with my friends on stage, then that's like really capturing my potential. So that's really cool. Um, okay. I, so I have a question about, um, can you maybe run me through like, what were the logistics of getting this website up and running? How did, uh, you know, you and your two other partners just, you know, divide labor and what did you guys do? Like, can you walk me through that process? Yeah. So it, it's, you know, so Matt, uh, Sankum had the, you know, the genesis of the thing and then his brother Ed came on board, uh, and then it was myself. And so it, we, we just went other with like a WordPress site originally, you know, and, um, I, I it would cost like, I don't know, I think like $800 to get it up and running, you know? So we just gave, you know, split that up, you know, paid $800 to get everything we needed to do. And then we accidentally ended up getting the wrong kind of WordPress site where we couldn't integrate oh, no. ads or something. So basically we threw all that money away and had to redo it and got the proper thing we needed to do. Where did then, the money go? You paid an engineer to build the site or some I, freelance guy? I think um, you know, Matt would be able to answer. He's always been kind of more of on the tech side of things in that regard. Uh, but it was more or less, uh, I think originally we had a just kind of a, a built-in WordPress, you know, template um, that we were just working on. But as far as uh, bandwidth is where all the money really went and shit like that, buying a certain amount of bandwidth because the site became quickly popular and it was crashing you know every oh, day yeah. making sure it's scalable uh, so, yeah so we had to figure out why you know the website was going down uh every time we put up an article that people liked and thankfully we don't have that issue anymore but you know we're paying for the proper amount of bandwidth which was all shit we had to learn because none of us knew anything about online publication uh is you know going forward but you know a lot of our traffic came from Facebook. So it was mainly just like trying to get things out onto Facebook and then just having that landing page where somebody clicked over and have the site look, you know, okay. It didn't look like some GeoCity site with a little tracker that had like sparkles going behind it and a page uh, oh God. counter at the bottom, you know? 
So how did you get that initial traffic? Where on fa- like, where did you put it on Facebook? Uh, yeah, we did. We just started a you know hard times you know Facebook page. Uh, that's just you know still the same thing. The hard times you know facebook.com slash the hard times news, uh, and you know we would just share it on our own social media, and then as soon as I I, I would share it, I'd notice other friends like you know. F- three times removed friends that you know sharing things thinking that the articles were real sort of you know being like oh i can't believe this is happening it's like well geez i didn't realize that this was actually going to happen and you know so just get shared organically on facebook and that's really what drove traffic for the longest time but now facebook has changed their algorithm for all publishers so the facebook traffic is not as prominent as it once was and that's across the board for every person but we still have a strong enough uh you know uh brand that that people still visit the site and you know don't just rely on on facebook but uh, for anybody that'd be starting something like this now i think it would be borderline impossible for them to get any eyeballs because of how facebook has clamped down on so many publishers um just because they're the worst basically facebook is the worst yeah you can't if uh, if you're not sharing something native to the Facebook platform, they, uh, their algorithm makes it significantly, significantly reduced. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. for example, if you have to share like videos that are uploaded to their site, not YouTube videos, things that are just generated on their site, not from outside sites. Otherwise, on the, if you want outside site eyeballs, it seems like you need to do ads. Right. Yeah. And that was a a big thing. We've always like, we've really never paid for at like all our, all our followers, like not, not a single one of them ever been bought or anything like that. It's all been organic reach. We we don't care to pay, you know, some Russian bot, you know, to manipulate our stats on Instagram, you know, like uh, it's not something we're ever some, you know, interested in, but you know, lately with yeah how facebook has changed their thing uh so many sites that relied you know, since since the hard times is still just a couple of you know people like it's it's not my full-time job you know uh you know, i would love for it to be but uh there's there's no there's no direct you know there's not seventy thousand dollars worth of uh advertising money coming in because facebook and google took all that money but now it's probably hopefully reversing back to where everybody is hating Facebook and advertisers go back to the older model of buying direct ads on sites instead of targeting people on Facebook. So who knows? Uh, but a lot of sites like Cracked, I know, has laid off most of their uh, employees. Funny Your Guy has had some issues uh, with their you know, employees um, because the Facebook traffic is just tanked because of you start to rely on it too much and then you invest in that sort of way of getting traffic and then it, they can take it away from you at any second and they did but uh thankfully the hard times never really uh depended you know we never invested our lives into a facebook algorithm so you know we don't really have that that's issue. smart yeah i definitely heard about those layoffs and stuff like that Do, have you noticed that our advertisers not really seeking native ads anymore is that difficult for your site uh so when we first started uh, as we were growing, we, you know, we would get, we would have interest in it and, uh, there was pretty good interest. And then for a while it kind of 
disappeared because a lot of people are just going straight to Facebook to target uh, market things. Um, and so it, it, it didn't dry up entirely. And it's not like, uh, you know, a lot of our, our advertising might be like a, a band is releasing an album. So we, uh, we will do an article that's like basically a sponsored article uh, for this band, you know, where the headline is funny, you opened it up and it just kind of is promoting their new album, but it's, you know, it's, uh, it's an ad. It's that sort of content where kind of tricks you and you, you're looking at an advertisement, but you're still getting good content, you know? Yeah. Uh, like the native ads kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, like so, Buzzfeed does. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of got that Buzzfeed model, but, um, and I know I, so many, so the advertising with Facebook and Google is so much cheaper than it is to do those, you know, direct campaigns that a lot of companies just basically decided that's the, that's the way they're going to go. But I, I really think, uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert in social media by any means, as far as actual, you know, looking at the numbers, but I think there's a lot of, uh, obvious pushback against Facebook. So I don't think as many people are going to be advertising through Facebook like they were. I think a lot of people are going to try, you know, go back to the way they look, use the internet before Facebook, where you would bookmark pages that you wanted to visit, you know, where you wake up in the morning and you look at three websites, uh, you know, or, or you're sitting at your office, you're not just scrolling Facebook, you're clicking across your toolbar and seeing which bookmarks you have and which content you want. And that's where, you know, online publishers would would rather have you be because facebook is always they make their money by keeping you on their site and they take things away from you by keeping you know their your content on their site so so we'll see what the next couple of years bring but i really think yeah facebook did a number on just how the basic the, the average person uses the internet you know yeah it's rough i mean just sharing my own content i find to be very challenging now uh you know, whether it be my YouTube channel or even this podcast or like whatever endeavors I'm working on, it's very difficult uh, with Facebook and you have to really be very aware of how to take advantage of the algorithm. And you never, you know, they say, you know, pay $25 and we'll open it up to 1,700 more people, but you can't prove that they did that, you know, like, uh, what are you just going to trust you trust Facebook that they opened up your, your post, you know, who, who knows? It could be, it, it, it's all a racket. You know? I mean, that is interesting, but I feel like similarly the same argument can be made for any ad because you're paying for impressions. How do you know those impressions happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that is, that is true. Uh, I think for a while, I think vice actually had that problem where they were kind of, uh, you know, fudging their numbers as far as impressions were concerned. But I don't know. I don't work at Vice, so I can't really uh, speak on that. But I know they didn't make their, their targets for this year, like BuzzFeed and, and Vice both missed their advertising targets for the past year uh, really? for the first for like the first time ever. So wow. I just kind of, and, and I think that goes back to a Facebook algorithm and how they changed it and how they want to deal with publishers. And you have to expect that you know the hard times never really played the game of uh we're gonna pay facebook to give you our content ours has always been organic you know our two hundred fifty thousand followers are organic followers that we didn't pay for but where vice and buzzfeed have a lot of capital so they've put in advertising dollars and put their sponsored posts out there and now facebook turns around and 
kind of screws them over. So, you know, it's a strange, strange, strange times for sure. That's interesting. So for so if you make a new article post now that's relatively successful, uh, how many views would that get now, even with the, what's going on with Facebook? So, yeah, it, it depends, again, across, you know, the uh, different forms of social media, uh, you know, like on Instagram, you know, like a good post could get, you know, like 18,000 likes or something like that. But that might not translate into views on the page uh, where a uh, Hard Times article, you know, could get 3,000 likes on Facebook and like a thousand shares and then that doesn't necessarily translate to views on the page but you know a, a good article on any given day could you know get you know 50 to 100,000 views like that day um, just from from that and you know we'd like to increase it to be you know obviously you want more views uh, for whatever but it would be best if those Instagram likes, they weren't just getting the headline, you know, they were actually reading the body of the article. So who knows how many views you're, you're losing because you're posting it on uh, like a site like Instagram, which is owned by Facebook that doesn't actually give you where the money is. Cause you know, somebody looking at something on Instagram, isn't really monetizable um, yeah. so much unless you know, we want to become uh, influencers and start selling some, you know, I don't know, uh, workout supplements on, on our Instagram page, but I don't really think any of us are very interested in uh, doing crappy advertisements on Instagram for, yeah. you know, $400. I noticed a popular thing that comedy pages that have a lot of follow followers will do is um, satirically sell things, but actually sell them. So right. they'll, they'll make fun of themselves selling it, but to sell it. And then yeah. that's like the move I noticed recently. Yeah, and, and that, we, we've done that occasionally, like Red Bull will sponsor, you know, some Facebook post and we'll just put it right out there that says, you know, hey, this post, this po I mean, not even like comedically, we'll just tell, hey, this is paying for our website for the next month. Uh, so, hey, look at this, you know, uh, Red Bull gave us this money. So here you go. Here's an advertisement. This is what keep this is what keep the website alive, um, you know, and it's just more like transparency, I guess. And I, I don't know, it's a we're in that weird age where I don't think people, well, people are so used to being advertised to, you know, where it's like you almost, I mean, don't notice it as much where, you know, there's, there's been times where, I don't know, maybe in the past where somebody's like, Oh, I see you're trying to sell me something and kind of get upset by it. Where now it's just like, yeah, it's just a part of life. There's an advertisement in every, yeah. Everyone's just so jaded by at. it. Yeah. Like, I mean, every movie you, look you can see the product placement in it you know every television show you watch you can see the product placement in it and, uh, you know it's just i guess you just gotta realize if you want content the part of it is advertising it's what keeps it alive it's a necessary evil oh yeah 100 percent. it's you need it but you just no one likes it it's yeah. it's such a bummer um so how much of a right now how much time would you say like because you, you also have a full-time job so how, how do you do that how do you allocate time for the site and also do your full-time job uh yeah so i i've i've often that's been a been a tough thing I've, I've actually gotten to a good balance probably within the last six months i've figured out the balance that works for me it used to be you know i i, I would work i'd come home 
my wife works in a bakery, so she goes to bed pretty early. And so after she goes to bed, work for two or three hours a night, you know, while she's asleep, just in my kitchen and taking care of what I needed to do. And then, you know, go out and do comedy, you know, hit up open mics, come back, you know, and pop out an hour of work here and there. If it's slow at work, you know, hop onto the internet and start doing what I can and just finding those, you know, 30 minute chunks within the day to keep up with the, the clerical stuff or whatever. Uh, but now I've gotten to a point where Sundays are usually a day where I just go to this office that I have at work and just do eight hours of editing basically straight, you know, and just edit as much as I can, get as many drafts done. And then throughout the work week, just kind of pick up the little things like loading things onto Facebook or Twitter or something like that, getting things scheduled. So uh, if I can't touch a computer for two or three days because, you know, I get, you know, just get knocked unconscious and I'm sitting on my kitchen floor with nobody there to rest. Hard times won't won't take a hit because I've already scheduled things out for a couple of days. So that's kind of where I am. So it's really just finding one day a week to, and, and just using that as like a deep dive into work where I don't have my phone near me. I try to limit any internet access on the computer other than to like, look up a reference you know that somebody made in an article to see if it's like true or if a lot of times our writers will try to sneak in a name of you know they'll they'll try to like wink at the audience by like yeah this is a name of a character from south park and it's like you know what don't don't do that don't you know just make up a name we don't need to uh use a name that's already been created by some other uh entity so just googling those sorts of things and being like is this get something past me here but uh uh but yeah for the most part it's one big one day of lots of work and then just sporadic work uh when i can throughout the day and then you know while obvious while also doing stand-up comedy and maintaining a relationship with my wife where she won't divorce me because i don't pay any attention to her yeah that's hard i I noticed that i mean i i have a girlfriend i don't have a wife but i just i know that it's hard to balance like doing stand-up podcasting having a youtube channel like doing my full-time job and also not being the worst boyfriend ever right yeah that, that, it's 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 it might be the hardest part about doing all of it is you know maintaining that and i mean i've you know i would never want you know a, a strange thing back when i first moved to portland a friend of mine we both had uh you know girlfriends at the time but he ended up breaking up with his girlfriend and i stayed with my wife and it was kind of a thing like all right now let's see if who is going to be happier in the long run here the guy that is single and now can put all his effort into creative pursuits or me that has a a a loving relationship and has to find time for creative pursuits and uh I don't know. I think the the balance I've struck uh, works out for me. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's unhappy, but certainly we we there's the pros and cons to both. But I've I've seen it's like oh I'd rather be in a relationship because uh, dating seems miserable. That's all. That's all it comes down to. These kids these days and all their twitters and tinders or whatever it is that they they're on. But I don't <laughs> know, I'm just you know kind of rambling at this point about the the benefits of marriage. But man, it's it's, it's definitely yeah. Uh, yeah, a, a challenge where, you know, even doing stand-up comedy where it's like, oh, you're going out. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go do a shitty open mic for three minutes. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to go up at 11.45 and it's going to suck and it will, will be a waste of my time, but I still need to do it. So 
uh, well, you know, they would rather just have you go to sleep, you know? Yeah. You know, that's a good point. I mean, I think it's so interesting because sure it's, it's difficult to be in a relationship and do all these things, but it's way harder to be actively trying to date and do all these things. Yeah. Arguably worse. <laughs> yeah. I, I would, I would, I would say worse. Judging by my, my single friends that complain all the time about, you know, trying to do that but maybe i just have friends that are just angry people which i probably do that's funny so okay what else so what is the current actually oh yeah i want to ask this first how i don't know can i ask how much of your maybe expenses does the website cover right now are you actually bringing in a significant amount of money from the site um from so a big thing with the hard times was um, paying our contributors. Like from from day one, uh, we've always paid our contributors uh, money. You know, and it's it's not you know they'll be able to buy dinner. You know, it's not like they're anybody's living high on the hog as a freelancer for the hard times. Uh, you know, and if you're really good, maybe you can uh, pay your cable bill over the course of you know a month of good articles. But for for the longest time. Uh, me and the other guys, we didn't take any money from the hard times. It was only within the r- recent couple of years where, well, maybe past year, where we gave ourselves like small monthly stipends and it will, you know, cover most of my bills outside of rent, you know, so it's, uh, it's good supplementary income, but by no means uh, is it uh, something where, you know, I'm spending lavishly and staying in uh, $1,200 hotel rooms just for the hell of it in downtown Portland, you know, it's, uh, so yeah, there's definitely, it's a good supplemental supplement to the income, but, uh, at this point it's not, it's not life changing. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. That's similar to what I've heard for, it, it's surprising that even platforms that get, you know, hundreds of thousands to, you know, maybe a few million people listening in or watching it's it's still difficult to monetize and activate that audience i i think you know in me and the other hard times guys have talked about this if we start so we started in december of 2014 and if we had started say in 2011 we'd probably be millionaires um because of the uh you know like world star hip-hop started in like 2011 i believe and those founders uh or that founder is a millionaire but now at this point if he started world star hip-hop today you know he would not have that uh that income revenue you know coming in for him so like just the general online content publishing has the the landscape has changed and it's just because of how advertising has changed and most of that has to do with uh going back to facebook and how they decided to try to rule the world that's crazy so how are you guys, what's the uh, your vision for the future of hard times? How do you envision getting more of an audience and uh, circumventing that Facebook yeah. algorithm problem? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. There's a, there's a lot of things we've done. Like uh, we've, we've branched off, like we have, uh, you know, the hard times proper. And then we have like a, a blog type, you know, sub uh, hard times, um, page called hard style where we'll do more of like the hard times we kind of consider ourselves uh, you know ap style so almost like you know uh you'd read these headlines 
in the New York Times, but uh, they are, you know, punk related. But hard style is more of that BuzzFeed style satirical thing. So almost uh, an equivalent to what Clickhole is to the Onion, but not really quite as. Uh, like clickhole what, what clickhole does but um and then we also did a released a video game satire site called hard drive for like gamers and stuff like that because that that world is gigantic uh as you may know the world of competitive gaming and stuff like that they sell out madison square garden just to have people watch somebody play like tekken or some shit um and yeah, it's, it's insane just a crazy, yeah it's a crazy world so we've had success with with that site so we've had three basically three relatively successful um you know uh platforms and two of them that failed miserably where we we tried to do a uh satire site that was kind of sports related mainly focusing on combat sports like mixed martial arts and wrestling at that it, it turns out those people don't want uh that sort of sense of humor um which strangely enough you wouldn't expect somebody into mixed martial arts to not get subtle humor um that's and then, interesting yeah yeah and then another uh one that kind of was like a satire of like info wars like sort of website but that one you know is it just kind of was taken too seriously at some points where it's like oh this people are just believing this because there's so many dumb people out in the world that will just believe what they see on facebook oh, no they just news. thought that was like fake news kind of but bullet yeah. buying into it even yeah, though it's clearly and, a joke yes yeah and so god in, damn it but that in even with that it didn't get you know as high of a traffic uh you know anyway but yeah so those those two were not great but uh you know for the future of the hard times uh we've we've had interest from uh television producers to develop a show which has been something that has been slowly working towards which we're very excited about and we'll you know hopefully you know fingers crossed that that works out we've also been approached by uh book publishers about uh potentially releasing a book so those those two things are something that we're looking towards the future and hoping that uh they they pan out because it would be great to have a hard times book out in the world and it would be even better to have a television show or some sort of you know branching out into a production company that does more than just you know online content because we do have talented uh people that you know make videos as well and some of our you know video sketches that we've put out through the hard times have been like legitimate viral hits that have over a million views on on facebook wow. unfortunately which you know does nothing for anybody if they were viewed on youtube it might be a little bit cooler but unfortunately they were just viewed on facebook over a million times and uh, you know facebook is back going back the worst Wow. So that, those all seem like great opportunities to monetize your audience because, you know, it's interesting. You have, I mean, you have 250,000 likes on Facebook and it seems like you have a few hundred thousand people visiting your site. Like there's no reason that you need to necessarily grow your audience. But if, if you had like a few, like tens of thousands of people buy a book, that's like $20. That's a huge like substantial amount of money yeah yeah and and it would be cool just to uh you know on a own personal level just to see your you know your name in print and a book that somebody said like hey you know we're we're gonna we're gonna take a risk on you or whatever and you know hopefully it, it pays off but uh 
we'll, we'll see where, what it comes down to. You know, we're, we're very optimistic about both of those things, but you know, the, the world of people with money moves slower than, you know, you would, you would prefer. Yeah, I'm sure like getting things like that done. seems like it could be a big overhead and you have to just deal with like the bureaucracy of all these like little companies and stuff. Right. Yeah. And you have to, you know, try to, uh, convince a, a guy that's 30 years older than your target demographic that uh, it, it is interesting despite what they may think, you know, uh, so. Yeah, that's the interesting thing when like the stakeholders in the conversation just don't have any grasp on the material that they're about to like produce. Right, yeah, and I, I think that's one of the, you know, probably biggest holdups to any creative person, in, you know, out there that, you know, going to any like you know if they're at, we're at Viacom or whatever trying to pitch a show and just like well this is what the kids are into and this sixty year old guy's like I know what the kids are into you know <laughs> no, you don't. you're you've been out of touch you're a millionaire you have no idea what's going on so you know hopefully <laughs> you know, hopefully there's people that are they have people that are smarter that they you know are getting paid far less that are their assistants or something like that that they trust to their input and when something good comes across their their desk they they pay attention to it but you know who knows i mean there's so many so much bad content out there that 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 might poison the well for other you know it's like hey we already took a risk on you know this this thing it's like yeah but those guys suck uh and it's no wonder it failed because uh, they had a bad idea uh and then that hurts your potential you know with them it's like oh we already tried that once it's like yeah but you went with the wrong people that's so interesting Okay, I have, I'm just trying to just think of things. I, you answered a lot of my questions really well. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So for, you said you had a bunch of, you know, you guys have several like spinoff platforms and you had two failed ones. But how how do you like know if, you know, a platform failed? How would you say, how do you definitively decide, okay, we're not going to continue this? Uh, yeah, so we would, basically gauge that off of um you know direct views on the website you know uh, we have you know google analytics that we can look at that can see what's happening and then um just how it performs on various social media platforms like you know we look at the amount of followers that it has on facebook and then how many likes it generated and then just seeing if uh if there's ever a time where it's spreads to the point where there's more people sharing it than you have followers and you see your followers jump up and we just you know um with with both of the platforms that that did not perform well for us one was called the truth bang that was the you know kind of uh info wars satire and then there was gut check which was like the combat sports sort of thing and uh both of those we just didn't see the growth on social media quick enough that made it justifiable like there would be some passionate people in the comment sections that would say this is really funny but it's you know one of those things like as you know just going to a stand-up comedy metaphor like if you have 100 people in the room and you're doing a joke that you think is really funny but only three out of 100 people like relate to it then that joke bombed you know it's like you can't just look at those three people and be like no this is a success like no 97 people have said no thanks so just uh try to make it better and know? these are 97 percent of like the target demographic yeah yeah uh, rough you know in 
a very loose analogy. I would say that. Wow. So who, how do you run your social media now? Are you like posting consistently on each platform on every type of social media? How does that work? That also sounds like a very daunting task. So I, I basically, um, will for more or less, let's just use the term that I, I will run the Twitter and the Facebook, uh, myself and, uh, with the hard times proper, we will do one, one article a day right now, every day I publish it at 7am, uh, Pacific time. And, uh, and then I'll do like a popular repost a little bit later in the day we try to post them at times where people are probably looking at their phones, you know, or 7 a.m. on the West Coast. Maybe people are just waking up, you know, going to work and they're checking their phone. They're scrolling their Facebook a little bit. And then that's 10 a.m. on the East Coast. Maybe they're taking their first coffee break. So they're scrolling their phone or they're sitting at their desk. And that's when you can kind of look at social media. Uh, so we kind of target that. And then I'll do like a repost at like four o'clock at night. So maybe, you know, you're bored at work on the West Coast and you're just going to scroll. You see an old Hard Times article. It's like, oh yeah, I re- remember really liking that one when they posted that a few months back. I'll share that again or whatever. And then as far as Twitter is concerned, uh, I'll do the same thing where I post the new article every day at seven and then I will repost an, an article from the past. Like, you know, we have over 1,500 articles that we've published in the past three years or so. And wow. so on, on the hour, every hour, I'll just do a repost of, uh, of a past article, you know, because even the most popular article that we've ever posted, it's not like, it's not like that day. That one, that, that first day that we posted it, that's it. That's the only people that will ever see this. There's new people discovering the site every day, but they might not scroll back uh, 18 months to see that article. So, you know, this is the first time that they're seeing it because it just popped up on their Twitter timeline. So, um, you know, so we're just kind of, you know, some people will, you know, very, very small amount. We, for, for a website like us, like I'm surprised and I've always been surprised how little negative feedback we get. There's very, people are usually very supportive, but occasionally we'll get complaints like, oh, you're recycling this article. It's like, no, not recycling. I did uh, not trying to pass this off as new content, but just reposting it for somebody that might have just discovered the hard times uh, two weeks ago. That's so, really smart. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely like we just don't, you know, all our, you know, all online content is disposable in its own way, but we just don't want to lose you know, something that we posted in 2015 that we still find funny and stand by. And a lot of our articles are evergreen, you know, like if you talk about some, something that happened, like one of our most like popular articles of all time is like uh, tall man finds perfect woman to stand in front of at show, you know? So it's just an article about a tall guy that's seeking out a short woman to stand in front of. And, you know, whenever we repost that, there's always, women that are maybe not six feet tall on Twitter, like this is me at every show I go to, (laughs) you know, and then tall guys being like, I do this and I'm sorry, you know? So you get these, you activate these two, you know, two demographics that are like, you know, like this happens all the time. And, uh, in that, that article has been seen by hundreds of thousands of people, but it just hasn't been seen by, you know, so many more hundreds of thousands of people. So just, you know, putting it out there uh, and just giving it kind of a new life every now and again. That's smart. Do you reverse engineer articles like that? Because 
obviously those two demographics are very likely to share the article. So we, we, we aren't like, it's not like we haven't tried that. We've definitely looked at headlines and being like, all right, this one about vaccines, uh, you know, really took off. Why, why is that? It's like, oh, cause vaccines are polarizing. So we can't just do, you know, vaccine article part two, you know, that sounds like exactly like it, you know, so, but maybe we can look at something like, what's another hot button issue uh, that is like vaccines, but isn't like something like abortion or something where that's so, so loaded of a thing that it almost goes, you know, like w- you can't really make a great comedic uh, satirical comment on it without being offensive to, you know, a, a, a vast swath of people. Uh, so it's like, all right, well, where, where can you find some sort of maybe conspiracy theory that a lot of people hold on to uh, that is similar to vaccines, uh, you know, causing autism, uh, but isn't, you know, controversial in a way. So we'll look at like and try to brainstorm things like that. But um, so there has been times like that where we'll look at well, what made this funny. Why do people relate to this? And when somebody pitches a headline, we can look at it and, you know, me and the other editors, we have Matt, the founder, the other co-founder and uh, an, an editor, Chrissy, um, and we'll sit on Monday morning, well, Monday night, and we'll look over every headline that was pitched uh, in the Heart Dems pitch group. And we'll just kind of pass judgment on them and be like, is this, is this funny enough? Is this saying the right thing? Are we, are we satirizing in the right direction? We don't want to punch down at anybody. I mean, we have, uh, you know, we punch down at crust punks all the time. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, we don't care. Uh, What's a crust punk? A crust punk would be now the, the general punching down crust punk would be the. Uh, so you live in Seattle. Yeah, I do. Okay, so uh, picture those guys that are uh, playing like acoustic guitar, have a dog. They're they're borderline homeless uh, with like a face tattoo. Uh, and have a bunch of patches on their vest, or maybe they're like by Pike Place Market or something like that. Uh, That's just but, like everyone in this whole city, I feel like. Yeah, <laughs> but in reality, they're not like hard scrabble people. They, uh, their dad's a lawyer, their mother's a doctor, and uh, they could go back to their mansion. That's so like that. funny. That's one of my friends. Yeah, and so those are the crust punks that we kind of poke fun at, where it's like you've had every privilege in life given to you handed to you and you'll get it back as soon as you're done with this um but you're not working class you're not anything but uh somebody that's been gifted a good life and you've you've chosen to uh go down this path and i'm sure there's crust punks that will argue against my my logic and i'm painting a broad uh broad strokes argument here but those are the ones that we kind of go after you know and uh, don't really you know care for all that much uh, that's so funny in a way because you know it's you know it's those people they just they just don't do it for me uh, and uh yeah so um i don't really know where i was going with that, that i just point, wanted to but, know but um yeah. <laughs> that, that was helpful thanks for that i want actually so i want to touch back into the social media because that's for me personally i find a lot of pain in posting on social media and posting consistently and having different platforms and then having a a different social media account for each platform and posting consistently and all. It's just like the most daunting, intimidating thing for me. And I'm just wondering, do you use any, like, how do you do How do you manage that and not just lose your mind? 
Um, so I, I have probably lost my mind three or four times, but uh, uh, I, I always get it back. But Instagram, so our our Instagram, our photo editor, uh, his name is Chris Bavaria. He lives in uh, Richmond, Virginia. He 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 just runs the Instagram. So you know he's already got all the art and stuff like that. So he'll just uh, you know on his phone post that every morning. He's on the East Coast, so he doesn't have to wake up super early to get things out and he'll just post it on Instagram. I'll, I'll do the Twitter and I use TweetDeck. And so, uh, like I said, I'll try to put a new article, well, not a new article, but I'll post an article on the hour every hour. So in some of my downtime at work, I'll just pop onto TweetDeck, pop into the Hard Times website and just pull out a bunch of articles that I haven't reposted in a while. And What's TweetDeck? Uh, TweetDeck is Twitter's scheduling platform. So if you were, um, so if say, you know, right now uh, on TweetDeck for the next up and through Mother's Day, I have one tweet scheduled for every hour um, from 7 a.m. Pacific time to 10 p.m. Pacific time. Just oh, my sitting, God. Yeah. How long does sitting. that take? Um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, it's uh, – let's see. So that's a, it's about like 16 uh, articles a day, I think, the way Jesus. I do it. Uh, maybe um, 70, that's like my, 112 my articles. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it takes, uh, it, it varies. Cause a lot of times I kind of have to look through, uh, the hard time site and kind of cherry pick the articles I want to, cause I don't want to just repost the same things every week since we have 1500, you know, articles in our archives. I want to, you know, mix things up. So, uh, you know, it could, if I usually I like to be scheduled a week out at all times. So if I sat and did that all in one shot, you know, it could take me two hours um, of just monotonous uh, copying pasting. And then that's one of those things where you just have to get up after and scream into a pillow because your mind is uh, broken from the weird monotonous task of oh, copying oh, yeah. so much. That sounds um, like one of the um, Tim Ferriss outsourceable things, maybe. Yes. Yeah. It, it, if, uh, it, it's often one of those things that, uh, you know, if, if we had that, the, the means where it was like, this is the first thing I'm cutting out of my life, uh, you know, and somebody else is going to be in control of this. But as we are right now, I don't want anybody else doing that because I know which articles uh, I've posted recently. It's all in a database just stored in my head and, you know the Twitter is growing by at least a hundred followers a day uh, lately. So wow, we'll, we'll, you know, so we'll take we'll take that those sort of numbers. So I feel like I'm doing something right if I can keep up that pace. Is your Twitter growing just because people are seeing because you're posting this frequently? Tough to say. I I, I think uh, with Twitter, a frequency is kind of a good thing because it's such a busy platform that you want to be in people's news feeds a lot, you know, like uh, you're, you're competing with a lot of content on Twitter and I don't know how much people are scrolling these days. So, you know, it's, it's a tough thing, but I think we have a good balance where we're not overloading people where you're going to see six hard times uh, post, you know, one for every minute in a row and then get frustrated. You know, you'll, you'll scroll and you'll get, you know, hard times, every now and again and it's just kind of sprinkled into your timeline as opposed to overwhelming it. So Twitter is something I know very little about in terms of how content is shared. So if someone's not following you, how do they see your post? Um, if somebody that they follow retweets it, 
uh, or comments a, a lot of times. Uh, I don't know. Maybe uh, I think they would just have to retweet it or maybe you can look at their likes. I, I also don't I'm not a huge Twitter like in my personal life. I don't use Twitter for anything other than just posting hard times content. So um, it, it's a lot of retweets. Uh, the, the best thing that can happen is if we do like an article about a band and they they retweet it like uh we did one um about this guy brian fallon he's the uh guy that played in this band the gaslight anthem one of my favorite bands of all time and he retweeted an article where we talked about him kind of going through bruce springsteen's trash can and because the gaslight anthem is sort of a bruce springsteen ripoff type band it's like if bruce springsteen was punk that's kind of what they sound like oh that's funny yeah we're not super punk you know anybody that knows the gaslight anthem would try to argue that they're not punk but you know semantics here uh but he retweeted it he's got you know however many followers so then those people are exposed to the hard times and maybe they say oh well what is this i'll follow it so a lot of times you know you hope for that um like lin manuel manuel miranda from uh hamilton oh, retweeted wow. us so wow. he's got you know over a million followers uh so it's it's you know it's great when that thing it happens sort of blows my mind I, I you know you get that endorphin rush of like holy shit somebody like a tastemaker is sharing us like uh, and then you almost get numb to it and she's like god damn it it's a drug and i need it more Ugh, <laughs> wow so do you do you ever intermingle your own personal social media in these shares or is it mostly you just have like a hard times net account for uh, all these things yeah we um we so me and the other co-founders like early on we kind of decided we never wanted to be the hard times, if that makes sense. Like we don't, like I don't promote um, any personal comedy shows. And like, we, we do have like a hard times comedy show in New York, which is run by a couple of our contributors. We have one in Los Angeles, which is run by our contributors. And I host one here in Portland. Um, and I will retweet those, but it's never, or I'll post that on Facebook, but it's never like, I'm going to post a picture of my wife and I and be like, this is uh, this is me and my wife. Here we go. You know, this is the hard times. Like we almost want to be like an anonymous source. Uh, and Oh no, for know. sure. I meant more like on your own personal social media. Are you sharing your hard times oh. content? Oh, every day. Yeah. Like uh, Facebook, you know, as soon as I post it on uh, my, my Facebook timeline is nothing but reposts of hard times. Cause I, only use facebook for comedy purposes at this point where my opinion on facebook is never expressed uh it's just you know i'm gonna reshare this <laughs> article and, and that's it and uh okay and, but I, I try to limit my social media presence in general just because of a basic malaise for all the 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 world of oversharing but that's just my own personal thing i see so I'm sorry about all these questions for social media. Again, yeah, no, that's no, such a no pain problem. point for me. But yeah. do you, so on, you have several other platforms as well. Are you doing these same clerical things on every single platform? Or do you yeah, have someone else have, do uh, it? Yeah, we have other. So the Hard Times Proper is the only one that I will do all those things for. We have separate editors for the hard style section of the site and separate editors for the the hard drive. And, you know, each one, it all goes back to the same you know, hard times media umbrella, but they're all, uh, you know, basically independently run on their own. Uh, and I don't have any 
direct involvement in those uh, processes. They are self-contained and they go about, you know, and maybe they will experiment a little bit about how they want to post on social media. And if that works, then maybe we'll integrate it into the hard, how the hard times will do it from then on, you know, so trying to figure that out. So we basically have like three uh, different incubating things to figure out. What oh, works okay. Best. But do you own those as well? Or are they just affiliated and you don't own them? Um, on paper, yes, they, they are. Uh, you know, I am part owner of all of them. You know, so if any of those were to, because it's all under the Hard Times Media umbrella, which I am an owner of. So if if one of if the hard drive, like the video game website, you know, all of a sudden, you know, just exploded and became the most popular thing on on the web, I've really done nothing to help grow that, and I will benefit uh largely from it and boy well, i would love for that to happen that's great wow so how how do you compensate these other editors because uh, technically you guys are like the ceos or whatnot of this media uh company. so uh a lot of the other editors have uh part ownership stake uh they've uh you know that's um Matt, uh, the the you know the other co-founder has uh, a lot of the ownership stake, and then it was split up since it was his uh, his creative endeavor. You know, he's got more, and then it will break it up, up upon the other editors, and they also get you know the same small uh, you know monthly stipend. Or you know, I don't really know. Uh, Matt does all the the book work as far as that is concerned. So maybe everybody else is getting paid thousands of dollars, and he has gotten my labor for basically nothing which is fine by me in the end uh you know so <laughs> hopefully uh, that's not the case yeah I, I i doubt it's the case uh it would be very tough for that to happen but um yeah it's uh, they're compensated in the same equal way you know as as basically ownership um and yeah so if we, the site continues to grow then their interest in the site should also grow because you know they'll be able to quit their jobs and do that full-time wow and uh matt is this the founder yes so, yep. so matt knows all these editors personally and that's how is that how they came up on board or did they uh, follow suit no. after the popularity of hard times so um all the editors that we have are basically homegrown editors that started as contributors for the hard times uh and they proved their their worth in one way or another you know what being frequent contributors to the hard times that always would be um they would turn in drafts that were didn't need heavy editing you know they they got the tone they knew how to write they uh they, they were targeted as you know strong comedic voices and uh that is how they became editors when like a position opened up or a new opportunity. It's like, all right, well, who do we want to look towards? And, uh, these were the people that, uh, like our for hard style. It is a comedian named Dan Rice. Uh, he lives in Connecticut and then Eric Navarro who lives in, uh, geez, let's see, I think he lives outside of Washington DC these days. And then, uh, for hard drive, it's, uh, New York comedians, Jeremy Kaplowitz and Mike Amory. And then uh, one other guy, Mark Roebuck, who lives in Lansing, Michigan. So, yeah, they uh, those are those are our dudes. That's cool. And do do you guys have actual engineers for each group that are keeping these sites up, or how do you maintain these websites? Uh, yeah. So our uh, 
that that person is uh she is uh in boston her name is amber and she is basically our chief uh technology officer i guess you'll say and she makes sure nothing falls apart uh in that regard and she just also has ownership and isn't doing it for pay correct yep she's she's part owner as well actually for you know been doing the site for three years i actually just met her for the first time yesterday in person oh, oh wow uh, she, she was in portland so so yeah we we are bi-coastal and uh yeah we're, we're just doing things online a lot of times we haven't even met the people that we have uh running that, the that's site. insane i mean it's amazing to get labor just strung together by people that are passionate because yeah and that's what definitely feeds it is you have to have that uh that passion because without it you know what are you doing it for Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, because I was just eventually like, I have so many ideas in my head of, big, I, I just want to like expand some of the things I'm doing. I'm just trying to think of, you know, it's not reasonable to compensate someone right off the bat, but how can I, just the idea of building a functional team that can help build a platform because I'm just spread too thin to do everything. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely finding those people is tough. And that's, I think, why Matt and I worked so well together because we didn't, we had only met uh as we started the hard times we'd only met online through my podcast and i think we went like 18 months as part business partners before we even met in person wow so uh you know but we both just put everything into it and just uh you know busted our asses and and it's become what it is that's amazing do you have any uh tips or advice for people that want to leverage uh the internet now post Facebook algorithm doom uh, for just like building a platform or getting a following or whatnot. Any yeah, lasting I think advice? It goes, I, th I think it goes back to just uh, doing something you want to be doing because, you know, like stand up comedy, if, uh, if you don't want to be doing it, it's going to be miserable, you know, for you just going to open mics and, you know, going to some shitty bar and not getting any laughs and walking off and trying to pretend like you're doing okay. You know, you have to be, passionate about it and i think that's with any online thing as well where you you should be, want to get up and do the work and then hopefully other people catch on to it that's really the only way it's going to grow and you know you can't force it that's all you just can't force these things very cool well do you have anything you'd like to plug towards uh probably getting to the end uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, there's thehardtimes.net uh, on Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com slash thehardtimes.net, but don't even look at that. Just go straight to the website because uh, Facebook, is, once again, is the worst. And then on, <laughs> on Instagram, it's thehardtimesnews, and on Twitter, it's at realpunknews. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's basically all I got. And if anybody's uh, – so this is releasing on, like, Friday, what, then the 10th or the 9th or something like that? Around uh, then. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, then I'll be, uh, if anybody's in Milwaukee, I'll be at the Clean City Comedy Festival telling dick jokes there. Fantastic. Uh, we should do a drinking game for how many times you said Facebook sucks. Just <laughs> for the listeners. Would die of alcohol they poison. would literally die. <laughs> but um, sweet. I really appreciate it, Bill. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Cool. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So 
club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week. And uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin NASA on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, Bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys.